to the Action Network NFL Podcast. It is the Week 16 Friday Show. I'm Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. And joining me to break down this weekend's action is Chris Raybon, a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of I'll Take That Bets on ESPN+. You can follow him in the Action Network app at Chris Raybon. Chris, how's it going? You are uh, recording this and then you're going to the Action Network holiday party. Are you excited? I am very excited. I, uh, I don't get to make it to the office as much as I'd like, so uh, excited to see all the guys and uh, get it popping. You guys are doing, like, the Secret Santa thing? Are you we are, are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, we are. Who, who do you have? I can't tell you. I can't well, tell you. By, by the time this airs, we'll already know. No, can't tell you. You might get out. Man. You are tight-lipped. Okay. Uh, well, on, on the subject of giving something away, you're giving away one final Action Network subscription to a lucky listener, and that person is Thomas Hawk. Thomas, congrats on the free sub. Email us at podcast at actionnetwork.com. That is the plural podcast at actionnetwork.com and claim your free subscription. Chris, earlier this week, you did the Monday show with Ian Harditz. I did the Wednesday show with Peter Jennings and Sean Corner. The Wednesday show was great. We've got the Friday show. If you are enjoying the Action Network NFL podcast, please rate, interview the show. Subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. Do us a solid holiday favor. Speaking of the holidays, next week we're going to take a slight break. So there will be no Monday show. Also no Wednesday show, but Peter and Sean will be on the Friday show, which will have a little bit of the Wednesday feel to it. So, uh, Chris, let's kick off by looking back at week 15. We both went 3-4-1. and one. We both got hosed with our Green Bay bullishness, uh, as well as the Steelers-Pats over. We pushed on the Texans-Jets game. We both hit by going under in the Colts-Cowboys game. And uh, you again won by backing the 49ers. Can't believe it. Uh, I won by uh, being uh, optimistic with the Eagles. So that's that's where we are for the playoffs. You are seven six and one. I am five eight and one. Let's get into it. Uh, unless you have anything you want to comment on about. I mean, Jason, Jason Myers had to have he had to have Houston plus six uh, minus six five or something because I could like, two extra like it was. We spent all show arguing about that game, and then it pushes. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's what we get for talking about a game that's sitting at seven. That's that's what we get. Yeah. All right. Let's get into our opening first and five segments. Uh, we're going to break down the five games that right now are getting the most action in the Action Network app. The games have the highest ticket counts. And the first ones, I mean, let's just start Texans once again. Texans at Eagles. Eagles favored by one and a half. A forty-six point over under. The spread is up from a pickem. The majority of the money is on the Eagles. Almost all of the money is on the over. The Texans have won 10 of 11 games, and they have a real shot at getting a first-round buy. The Eagles are coming off a, I'd say, heart of the champion Sunday night football win over the Rams, and they're still in the running for a playoff spot with Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles at quarterback. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe like I'm, I'm now like on the Houston side of everything, but in this game, I, I can't believe the, the Texans aren't favored, but smart people are talking about the Eagles, so – Chris, talk to me about the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, you know me. I love, I love the Texans as well in this spot. Um, it's, I think they opened as a, a favorite, if I'm not mistaken. So in this game, I think it comes down to the Eagles can be exploited in their secondary on the back end. However, you know, it would have been ideal for Houston to still have Will Fuller to do that. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins, this is a blow-up spot for him as far as fantasy dfs and all that i believe we have him ranked number one in our consensus rankings over at actionnetwork.com but actionnetwork.com slash fantasy just throwing that in there there you go got to give it the the full treatment doing slashes now and and i I like how you threw that in just sliding it that was really well done Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at some splits here and this is, you know, this is kind of what concerns me a little bit about Houston's ability to fully kind of go ham against the Eagles in this spot. Deshaun Watson's yards per attempt, still very good without Will Fuller this year, uh, 8.03, it was 8.76 with Fuller in the lineup. But 
if you look at net yards per attempt, which you know takes into account sacks, which is really important when you look at the Texans because Deshaun Watson takes a ton of sacks and um, you know top three in the league in terms of taking sacks, and so they're down to uh, 6.2 net yards per attempt since week number nine, uh, which was their first game without Fuller. Uh, you know when he tore the ACL. So overall, the Eagles. It's a pretty even game, and the fact that the Eagles have the home field advantage, uh, I actually have them with a slight edge. I actually took them at uh, one, 1.5 on I'll take that bet on, for this uh, the Friday show. So I lean Eagles, but I'm going for, for us, I'm going with the under here, under 46, because I think that kind of slightly reduced efficiency for the Texans. And then on the other side, Probably some some reduced efficiency for Nick Foles compared to to Carson Wentz, even though I know Foles had the big game. I think the fact that the over-under got bet up a half a point to a point, I think that's mostly due to uh, the recency bias. You know, the, the Texans-Jets was a pretty low over-under game, and that went, that went over by, uh, I believe it was 10 points. And then on the other side, you had the Eagles-Rams game just hitting that over-under of 53. So I think he's... People are kind of seeing two teams that, you know, scored a, a little more than expected, had a higher scoring game than expected last week and, and kind of artificially inflating it. So I'm going with the under for this game, but I, I do lean Eagles just just by a, a tiny, tiny bit. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm pretty bullish on, on the Texans here and I'm, I'm probably on the square side of this, but um you're, you're right to point out, and I, I pointed this out in the, the quarterback breakdown, which you can find at Fantasy Labs, that Deshaun Watson clearly wait, wasn't... Wait, 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 wait. Fantasy Labs slash what? Well, I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, Action Network, actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. That's where we're okay. always... Like, I say that every show. Okay, okay, okay. So if we if we draw on the dot .com, that's when we start slashing. We do... Okay, gotcha. Yeah, you know. I mean, so yeah, Fantasy Labs. You know, just... You can find it at Fantasy Labs. Uh, anyway... So you can find this this wonderful piece at, at fantasylabs.com slash articles, NFL slash DFS slash fantasy. Anyway, so uh, this. <laughs> now, now no one's going to want to read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, as you pointed out, the, the splits, um, Watson splits with and without Fuller are, they're pretty extreme. And you can see it with the offense too. And if you look at all of the players, not just uh, receivers, but you know, running backs, tight ends, all of the players to whom Watson has given five targets in his career, he is clearly the most efficient when throwing to Fuller. And like you could say that there's you know like some noise in there, but he has an adjusted yards per attempt mark of 13.6 when targeting Will Fuller. To compare that to Demarius Thomas, it's 9.93. For DeAndre Hopkins, it's 9.76. We would expect Hopkins' number to be lower because he just gets so many more targets. But the, the point is, like, Fuller adds a real extra dimension to that offense, and I think they will miss him. That said, I have very little respect right now for that <laughs> Eagles defense, especially the secondary. It's just it, – it's really decimated. They're missing their safety. They are missing their two starting outside corners. It's unlikely. I think that Sidney Jones is going to play in this game. So they are basically starting like backups to the backups at the outside position. It's just, it's not a good situation for them. What do you you make of, uh, you know, going off that and the Eagles defense. So what do you make of their performance against the Rams? Because they held the Rams, you know, pretty, pretty in check for for a large part of that game. I know the Rams kind of had a drive at the end and and added a touchdown. But, um, you know, what do you attribute that? to you know as far as the Eagles and where they're at defensively uh hashtag heart of the champion that's <laughs> that's what I'm attributing to. Was, I mean it was uh, and I said this on the last on the last show like I think it's like it was like their final game of like all right our quarterback is out people are riding us off we are playing the team that could be in the Super Bowl this last year like we are not going out like chumps like we are going to put out a good game like I know that sounds like that's total narrative street but like I think that was a big part of it, you know. I feel you. And, I feel you. And also the Rams, like they just haven't been the same since Cooper Cup's injury. You know, like there's just there's something I think more going on with that offense than with just like the defense of the Eagles and what they were able to do. Anyway, I'm taking Houston over 22 and a half. I like that a lot. I so, think no, score points. The one thing you know, because this is a tough game. It's I feel like they're very thin margins, but 
the one thing that concerns me just about points in this game is that Foles can also kind of have these ugly games. And, you know, he played against the Rams last week. It's kind of a situation where you're going to be as probably as aggressive as you're going to be against any team on offense because you're trying to, you know, you have to score points. Houston, not quite the same type of team, but remember that Dallas game against Philly two weeks ago where that was nine, six or something well into the third quarter. And then, you know, because the game was close and it, it ended up going overtime you know, the Eagles got, they gave up a ton of production and they gave up 29 points. But I mean, if that game doesn't go to overtime, it's, it's a whole different type of situation. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> that's like the, the Dak Prescott under machine. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not, that, that's a totally true. different type of offense. Like true, true. Sean Watson is not, you know, he's not Dak Prescott. Like it's just, it's different. The Houston offense has gotten a little Prescott-like, but yeah, they don't, they don't have that same type of rush volume because they don't have that same type of running back. Lamar Miller popped up on you know he hurt his ankle yeah. last game i mean so, they yeah. they have gotten prescott-esque but they're still scoring points like i think that's actually like kind of the big distinction is that they're still pretty <laughs> good like they're pretty efficient at uh, turning yardage into points and yeah. the cowboys aren't nearly as efficient at doing that okay let's talk about uh the bills at the patriots patriots favored by 13 a 44.5 over under 33 percent of the bets 52 percent of the money is on the bills uh, who might have a future with Josh Allen and Robert Foster. Uh, the Pats have lost two straight games. They need a win if they hope to get a first-round bye, but they will be without Josh Gordon. News breaking today that he is taking time away from the team and has been suspended indefinitely by the league. Oh, man. Uh, Chris, <sighs> what, are your, what are your thoughts on this game? I mean, I don't think Gordon hit my missed game prediction, but he, he came close. He came close. I think I predicted six. He's going to end up missing, what is it, four? now two yeah I think four um but yeah I hope he's he's getting what he needs to get done as far as the game you know the Patriots I don't know what's up with them they've been kind of uncharacteristically sluggish at at times this season lost a tough game to the Steelers last week but I still think they have a pretty big advantage over the Bills in this game even with the new improved Josh Allen aka the Josh Allen without Kelvin Benjamin, without, uh, you know, Andre Holmes there kind of taking up targets. I think they've kind of found something with this top three of Zay Jones, Robert Foster, and Isaiah McKenzie kind of functioning in that uh, Jakeem Grant kind of role, as Ian Harditz called it. It's sacrilegious, but I'm not going to take too much (laughs) issue with it. Go ahead. (laughs) But, yeah, no, so I think the Bills definitely have, have improved on offense. But that being said, I still think the Patriots have a major advantage just in terms of their pass offense against the Bills, pass offense even in its improved state, even with Josh Gordon being out. I mean, you still have Rob Gronkowski, Julian Edelman. We saw Chris Hogan uh, make the big play, although I think he'll probably see a lot of Tredavious White now that Gordon is out. still have guys like Cordell Patterson and, and whatnot. So I think that the Patriots can get it done here, and I like the spot for them because – they're coming off a loss that you know didn't work out uh, last week, but they are 38 and 13 against the spread coming off a loss since 2003. They're eight and three against the spread when they're on a two-game losing streak. Uh, you know when they scored 10 points or fewer in a previous game. Evan Abrams wrote this up in our betting preview over at ActionNetwork.com/NFL. Nice, know. nicely done. <laughs> you know he, he wrote he, he gave he wrote this nugget which I thought was interesting. Since 03, when the Pats scored 10 or fewer points in their previous game, they were 11-0 straight up, 10-1 against the spread, and they cover by uh, an average of 11.6 points per game in the next game. So I think that this is a rebound spot for the Patriots. I I do think the Bills will continue to get support just because of the Patriots' struggles and and the huge spread. And I'm usually kind of trying to bet the underdog in in spreads this big, but I just like the spot, uh, the rebound spot for the Pats, and I think, you know, everyone's kind of down on them right now. Yeah. I hear you based on the the podcast that Chad Millman did uh, with Bob Scucci, the favorites podcast on Wednesday. Uh, Scooch said that the sharp money is on the bills. The public is laying the number. That said, I can't I can't find it in myself to take the bills. Um, but I I kind of want to stay away from the Patriots a little bit. Like I could see them winning by ten. You know what I mean? I could see like the backdoor cover. So like that's just a situation I kind of want to stay away from. But I. I do feel confident overall in points and it's kind of correlated with what you're saying that if, if you're looking to take the Patriots uh, I think you would also be fine with probably 
looking for the the over there because I do think that the Bills will find a way to, you know, like Josh Allen, random touchdowns, you know, deep throw to Robert Foster, whatever it is. Uh, I think they will find a way to score some points. So, and, and just kind of um, historically in the the Gronk era, the Patriots tend to go over quite a bit at home. So I'm I'm comfortable, even though Gronk isn't his full self, I'm still confident enough to to take the over there if I had to take a position on this game. I, I hear your point, and I, I thought about the over too. Um, I do know, you know, it's one of those things with the the second game in a divisional series. Though, and yeah. they did play a pretty yeah. low scoring game the first time. That that's the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause about that because the second games are usually lower scoring. So this is another tough one. But yeah, I'm, I'm gonna st- I'm sticking with the Pats. You know, I, I expect them to rebound. Yeah. Uh, okay, third game: Bengals at Browns. Browns favored by nine, a forty-four point five over under. Almost all of the money is on the under. Uh, the Bengals are without Andy Dalton, AJ Green, and presumably Tyler Boyd, uh, who is dealing with a sprained MCL. The Browns are four and two since dismissing head coach Hugh Jackson and offensive coordinator Todd Haley. They still have a theoretical shot to make the playoffs at six, seven, and one. And Chris, you just kind of have to ask yourself: like, if they had just started Baker Mayfield to begin the season would they be slotted for a playoff spot right now? Uh, I think they would have a real chance at it. But uh, what are you making of this game? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. They probably would because they, they could have won that game against Pittsburgh and like the Browns here, I, they've been just excellent since Freddie Kitchens took over on offense. You know, Baker Mayfield's net yards per attempt has skyrocketed. His yards per attempt has skyrocketed. Um, he's getting it done. They've been a lower volume offensive team overall like the play volume is down over the last few games so um for both sides of the ball so they're they're allowing fewer plays and they're and they're having fewer plays so I still like the Browns uh minus nine here I know it's been bet up but I actually had it at nine myself so that's the I think that is the correct line but over under kind of tough I I don't I just think the Browns can put up a, a lot of points in this spot you know again Baker Mayfield has been superb on, on, you know, 10.82 yards per attempt against Carolina, 9.2 against Houston, 9.9 against Cincinnati, 10.8 against Atlanta, 6.0 against 6.1, excuse me, against Denver, but tough defense on the road. So I'm expecting back at home for for Baker Mayfield to kind of get back to what he was doing over those previous four games. And that's the only reason I'm I'm kind of shying away a little bit from the total, because I think this could be a smash spot for the Browns. Yeah. I really like what I've seen out of Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Like he can, he can play well enough in bad spots, you know? And I think like, that's kind of like the hallmark of a good quarterback. You know, if he can avoid those really bad games when lesser quarterbacks would have bad games and he's, you know, obviously continuing to improve. And like, how much do you love Freddie kitchens? Like, I just like, I really like that guy. I hope he gets a shot to stay as offensive coordinator or he gets a gig, uh, some other place, whatever it is. Like, I want more Freddie Kitchens in the league. It's, you know what it's, I, mean? I love it. Yeah, and it's funny how the pendulum keeps swinging as far as, you know, what was the Browns issue? Well, it's obvious what the Browns issue is, but, you know, it was like, okay, well, Sashi Brown should get a lot of credit for what he did, and it's, it's all on you and the coaching. And then they get Kitchens, and now it's like he's doing even better. Like, he's exceeding all expectations and making it look like, you know, the coaching is the, the deciding factor. But overall, I think the Browns organization as a whole is just – just in a great place right now. I mean, you got Mayfield, even if you don't make the playoffs, I mean, you got yeah. Mayfield going forward, a lot of talent on off. It, they have, they have such a good collection of talent now that you know, Baker Mayfield is really spreading the ball around a lot more, you know, Jarvis yeah. Landry for the last six, seven weeks, his target shares down to 21%. I mean, it's hurt. It sucks. Cause it's kind of hurting the Joku too, uh, for fantasy and, and, and even Landry. Yeah. And those guys. But um, you know, just from a NFL real life perspective, yeah. I think the Browns are in, are in a yeah. great spot. From like the developmental perspective of a quarterback finding his way in the league and playing this well as a rookie, I don't care at all that he spreads it around. Like it's that's a very Drew Brees type of thing, and like I think it's a good sign that he's spreading the ball around instead of just kind of focusing on his one receiver or two receivers, kind of to the detriment of the team and also like his own statistics. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm taking Cleveland. I got it at six and a half. I, I bet that right away when I saw it because I just I knew that number was gonna. I didn't think it was gonna move to nine. I mean, I thought maybe like seven, but uh, yeah, uh, I would still I'd still take it at nine. Yeah, I mean that 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 was definitely a good one. To, when you because you you said you generally tend to 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 jump on lines immediately and then you kind of revise if you need to. Yeah. Um, later in the week, do you generally find that? 
because I feel like as the week progresses, what tends to happen is that since the public likes favorites, favorites tend to get bet up. So would you say that like you tend to find more value on favorites earlier in the week or does it just kind of, is it just a case by case kind of thing? That's a good question. Uh, To be honest, I don't think I've been self-reflective enough to be able to say accurately where I've been successful on jumping on lines early and when I haven't. Because there are cases where like underdogs do see line movement. I just don't know if I've been jumping on, on those teams or not. But I think I have seen value. Normally where I see the value is on the favorites where I, I look at a line and I think that's going to move. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, because I, you know, a lot, a lot of times what happens is like, you know, because the public, I believe something like 80% of bets, you know, the public or something like some high number, definitely more than 50, uh, like the public bets on favorites. And so those lines tend to get inflated. But yeah, for Cincinnati, just real quick, because I, I feel like we didn't mention Cincinnati at all. The reason that I think <laughs> you and I both are bullish here on the the Browns b- beyond just their, their offense and what they're doing on that side of the ball against this Cincinnati defense that's bottom five in DVOA is that Cincinnati's real one advantage in this game is not really an advantage per se because Nick Chubb has been great but Joe Mixon and that run game for Cincinnati going against Cleveland's run defense which has not been very good but that's just not it's usually the run game just doesn't tend to impact point differential that much so you know Cleveland 23rd and run run DVOA but Cincinnati is going to have to pass convert third downs and things like that and Driscoll throwing to you know without even potentially Tyra Boyd that's just a real tough spot yeah and the the Browns have been much better in pass defense this year uh, especially with the addition of Denzel Ward uh, and then the maturation of Miles Garrett as a um, a pass rushing threat much better this year than they were last year let's talk about the Steelers at the Saints this is going to be a great game. At least I, I hope so. This, for me, this is kind of the game of the week. Uh, Saints favored by six, a 53-point over-under, 48% of the bets, 62% of the money is on the Steelers, 78% of the money is on the over. The Steelers are coming off of a win against the Patriots, but they've lost three of their past four games. They're still in danger of losing uh, their place atop the division, even of falling out of the playoffs. And then on the other side, the Saints can lock up the number one seed in the NFC with a win, and they have won 12 of their last 13 games. One news item here, actually a couple news items. We are recording this on Thursday. It seems as if James Conner is likelier than not to miss this game. He's still sidelined in practice. And then uh, maybe even more importantly, there is a report that Juju Smith-Schuster popped up on the injury report with a groin issue. Uh, So he was downgraded to limited. Uh, So definitely keep an eye on that. And it might be a situation in in redraft leagues if you're depending on Juju something, I don't know, you're desperate. Maybe you add Eli Rogers or James Washington or something like that. But uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, okay. So just to start with on Juju, if if something does go wrong, I did research a couple of years ago. I hope to update it with, with more recent data, but uh, I did like a looked at like seven, eight years of data at the time and found that wide receivers that play after being on the injury report with a groin issue, about a 17% decrease in PPR production. Now that's still relatively small sample, even though it's a lot of years, it's 49 games. So you can't put too much stock into it, but probably a slight downgrade, even if he does play Eli Rogers in his first game back kind of operated as that, as that, primary um, third receiver in terms of targets, but uh, James Washington's snap rate was up. So it's, it's kind of a, a murky situation at this point. As far as the game overall, you got to start with the Saints and their defense. I mean, the Saints yeah. defense has been just superb over these la- over this last six-week stretch. They haven't allowed more than 17 points in a game over these last six weeks. And that's just something that I don't think we've said about the Saints in God knows how long. I, I know the five-game streak was – you had to go back to 2006. So um, it's been a minute. And the Steelers played a low-scoring game themselves with the, the New England Patriots last week, a lot lower than I know you and I both thought it would be. So I'm leaning to the under in this game because I think that you know, make to the everyday better, I think these two teams still look like these offensive juggernauts, and they, and they generally are. But you know, now you got Juju popping up on the injury reports – you got the Saints playing well on defense. And you have Drew Brees and that offense coming back down to earth a little bit. They're back at home. So I do expect a lot better of a performance than, than they had, you know, going on the road to Carolina. But this is still, you know, probably not quite as explosive of an offense as we were sitting here talking about it maybe a, a, a few weeks ago even. Pittsburgh's kind of been middle of the road. Defensively, they're 16th in DVOA. 
you know, number eight against the run, number 21 against the pass. So they, they can definitely be exploited. But, you know, seeing New England score only 10, 10 points against them last week was pretty eye-opening to me. So I think Pittsburgh's also kind of playing a little better on defense just like the Saints are. So I'm, I'm going to roll with the under in this game. But I do think it should be a, a real exciting game. Yeah, so I'm with you on a lot of that logic. The one thing is, like, I just don't want to take an under for the entire game you know, the Superdome. Mm-hmm. I just like, you know, like, I feel like I would be like asking for trouble just because like, that's been like the, the nut spot for taking the overs in the Drew Brees era. Yeah. It's like almost, you just blindly bet it. You know, I hear you though on the, the defensive uh, resurgence that the Saints have had. They started out the season in horrible fashion giving up a lot of points. And I think that's something that kind of stuck with people just because that's what they saw at the very beginning of the season. But like we should remember, like last year, that was a very good Saints defense. And then if you kind of look past the first month, they had struggles. And then especially after they added Eli Apple to the secondary. And it's hard to know kind of exactly how much of an impact he's made. But like without question, this defense has gotten better recently. Uh, and they are number one in the league at 11 and three when it comes to holding opponents under their team total. And then we have on the other side of that, the Steelers on the road, you just hammer their, their under kind of no matter what. So like I'm, I'm fine with kind of putting those two things together and taking under 23 and a half for the Steelers. Um, just not the same team that they are when they're in Pittsburgh. Although this is a good spot, like historically playing in the Superdome has been a good spot for visitors. Uh, I just don't – I'm kind of not buying that narrative as much anymore just because the Saints defense has improved a lot. Yeah, and that, that's kind of the same reason I'm I'm on the under for the game itself. I think a lot of that – those historical trends as far as the, the Saints and the Superdome is because Drew Brees is such an excellent quarterback and, you know, offense has always played better at home. So he kind of puts the pressure on teams to score even more. And then their defense has just been pretty terrible for most of that time. And so yeah. it results in high-scoring games. It's not quite the same – situation so yeah I'm I'm with you uh you know I it's tough with the the Steelers I I think that's actually a sharp play though because again the Saints haven't given up they haven't given up more than 17 in six weeks I mean they played the Falcon that's a pretty solid offense makes mistakes but still a solid offense they played the Bucks in Tampa they played the Cowboys no none of those guys eclipsed 17 so um not not a bad play but that's why I'm gonna stick with the uh under for the game because I think this I don't see the Saints just um just blowing out the Steelers either at this point I think they're kind of gonna you know be run run the ball and uh and kind of control the game and with this new style of uh play that they have with it with this defense yeah that's that's definitely fair the one thing is that if it worked out where the the Saints just went off for like 40 points uh, and then the, the Steelers, so they, they basically like hit the over almost by themselves and the Steelers had only like 17 points. It's not as if I would hate myself, but I'd be like, yeah, you know, I should have just taken the under on the Steelers. That, uh, it's okay. actually, a, I saw an interesting stat. Uh, they posted on the, the telecast of the last Saints game that they're just not scoring points in the first quarter. And yeah. so I think you mentioned it, like you don't want to take it for the whole game. So I think that actually might be a sharp play too. the uh, the first quarter under or even the first half one yeah yeah yeah. no that's that that I think yeah if you were to do it for the game I think that's for both teams combined I think that would be the way to do it okay the fifth game here picked by the listeners Buccaneers at Cowboys Cowboys favored by seven a 47.5 over under the Bucks have lost six of their last eight games the Cowboys have won five of their last six but they are coming off of a shutout road loss to the Colts and they need the win to keep their spot at the top of the NFC East Chris Talk to me about why I should hate the Cowboys. Oh, man. Yeah, you're, you're just going – because you're going back and forth like crazy on these Cowboys. I, I remember it was like a couple of weeks ago you are really down, then you were saying how last week you are really high in them. I, just, I, I have no read on this team, and, and I say that every week, and it's true. I have no accurate read. So whatever I say about this Cowboys team, do the opposite. So, yeah, you know, in this game, that was definitely – since Amari, we always you know, start there – they have improved their net yards per attempt is up to 6.2. It's 5.9 for the year, but 6.2 with Amari Cooper. But that that mark still is pretty underwhelming when you consider like Jameis Winston, even after kind of coming back down to earth over these last few games, his, uh, his net yard per attempt is still 6.8. And that's right in line with his career mark as well. I also think that Tampa Bay's defense, particularly their pass defense, has been a bit better since they fired, uh, you know, Mike Smith, the defensive 
coordinator Anthony Amico wrote a, a great article about it on actionnetwork.com slash NFL about how it was actually talking more about the run game and how, you know, Ezekiel Elliott is going to have an advantage because Tampa Bay has been essentially playing smaller, getting out of base essentially on defense, going with more dime and uh, smaller linebackers and, and things of that sort to kind of curtail opponents passing game. So I do think that Dallas will continue to kind of be in that, in that same range with, with uh, you know, that they've been with, with Dak and Amari here, obviously, you know, getting, getting Zach Martin back would be, would be huge. That offensive line was decimated against the Colts and that contributed to the, the lackluster performance. But I think the fact that the Bucks still have, you know, you can kind of project the Bucks to still gain, uh, be more efficient as a passing team, even though you kind of think of, think of it the opposite because they've been so bad on defense over the full year. Um, I, I think you can still project the Bucks to be a, a more efficient than the Cowboys passing. I think the Cowboys definitely have the advantage on the ground, but that's, we, all, we know that's not quite as important as, as the passing game. And then I think it, it's the over under is tough in this one because, you know, those Dak unders tend to hit, but this, this Bucks team, I mean, there's so many factors in terms like volatile factors. Cause you have Jameis, still liable to revert to, to turn the ball over a lot, but you also have the bucks that can, they'll go down the field with the football. So they could put up points and we kind of saw what happened in that Dallas Philly game. So I am going to take the bucks as a seven point dog. I think it's a little much for when you have the, a team that's a run first team, because if you look at the season, Dallas has won by seven, by more than seven, only twice. So six of their eight wins have been by seven or less, but that also means that 12 of their 14 games have been, they would essentially do no worse. You would do no worse than pushing in 12 12 and 14 times. So I'd still like the bucks at this number. I think it's, I think it's too big. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's hard to go wrong betting uh, betting against Jason Garrett for one. (laughs) Um, But let me, let me throw some statistics at you that are the most, um, disheartening statistics I could find as a Cowboys fan. Okay. So although the Cowboys have been much better passing the ball with Amari Cooper for the season, and granted just seven games on on the splits with Cooper and without Cooper, but for the season, they have 20 points per game without him and only 19.4 points per game with him. And on a per drive basis, they actually scored 1.86 points without him and 1.85 points with him. They're accumulating more yards, but they haven't become any more efficient at turning those yards into points. So, like, that is something that is still going to haunt this team, I think, their inability to convert yards into points. And for me, like, that is kind of like the signal of coaching. You know, like, I think good coaches can find a way to turn yards into points, and bad coaches aren't quite as good at doing that. And then I look at the Bucks. Since they fired Mike Smith, and uh, you mentioned Anthony Miko's article, a really good piece. People should check that out at actionnetwork.com slash NFL. They have been much better in pass defense. Uh, they allowed 76.8% completion rate in weeks one through six, only a 68.8% completion rate after that. Uh, and that's still a really high completion rate, but the yardage discrepancy is huge. 355.8 yards passing in weeks one through eight, only 204.4 yards passing since then. So they, they have gotten much better defensively. It's not as if their defensive unit is still actually all that good, uh, but I think it's good enough, and the Cowboys are inconsistent enough at scoring points that I'm, I'm fine with taking the under here, under 47 and a half. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I, you know, I think that, that's the key here. It's, that, it's Tampa Bay's defense has been better. But, you know, I think the one thing about the stats, the splits with, with and without Amari is that it really depends how much weight you give to that shutout because it it's kind of has the feel of an outlier only because, you know, Zach Martin went down kind of in the middle of the week, I believe it was, or something like that. I forget what happened, but that could have just been like one of those outliers. I, it I, it might be an out, outlier, but yeah. even if you factor out that game, they were scoring only 22.7 points mm-hmm. per game with Amari. That's still not like a high total. And it's yeah. like, you know, 22.7 versus 20 points without him. That's not all that significant. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I mean, I think this is a game I actually like because I do like that under um, the more the more I think about it, and I, I love the, the the spread as well for Tampa Bay. So yeah, this is actually a game I'll probably have a 
a, a lot of action on. Okay. We have the two-minute drill next, right after Josh Applebaum tells us which game the wise guys are betting this week. Money talks, and Action Applebaum is all ears. This is the Sharp Report. NFL Week 16, we are traveling to South Beach for a Florida Civil War between two disgusting teams, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Miami Dolphins. Recreational bettors want nothing to do with this game, but sharp bettors are finding value in the over-under. This game opened with an extremely low total of 39.5. Public bettors, one mistake that they always make is just betting an over because the total is low or betting an under just because the total is high. This is a spot where, with such a low total, the public says it has to go over. However, sharps are buying low on a contrarian sharp under in this spot. This total opened at 39.5, and even though 60% of bets are going over, we've seen the total fall from 39.5 down to 38.5 or even 38 at some books. What caused this reverse line movement? Sharps getting down hard on the under. The under is only getting 43% of bets, but 85% of dollars. Clear indication here that the big sharp wagers from respected players are going under with average Joes taking a shot on the over. Using our Sports Insights bet signals, we've also seen huge bet signals, steam and reverse line moves on the under. As soon as the line came out, Sharps hit the under 39.5 at three separate books. Sharps came back again on the under 39. This overload of sharp action caused that reverse line movement with that total to fall. Also doesn't hurt that you will have a little bit of wind in this game. Uh, we're looking at wind speeds, crosswinds of between 8 and 9 miles per hour. Uh, wind always helps an under and makes it hard to to throw the ball, a lot of running the ball, chewing up the clock. And one cherry on top is that Jacksonville Jaguars and Miami Dolphins are two of the slowest pace offenses in the league, ranking 24th and 30th in terms of pace. This means they run the ball a lot, they use up uh, the play clock, leads to a lot of unders. So even though it's a super low total, Sharps still think it's going to go below. They'll be sweating that under in South Beach in Week 16. All right, that was Josh. Be sure to check out his article, The Sharp Report, on the Action Network. Chris, we are replacing the two-minute drill with a look at the Saturday slate from a DFS perspective. Let's start at the quarterback position. We have Phillip Rivers versus three running quarterbacks. What are you looking to do at the quarterback position? Yeah, so it's tough because so Lamar Jackson, he has the top projected plus minus in our models, but he also has the lowest floor. It seems to be the case with him on a weekly basis at this point. I do get it because I think so Lamar has faced literally the five worst defenses in terms of points allowed in the league and five of the six worst defenses in terms of overall defensive DVOA in the league. In those five games, the Ravens have scored 25.6 points per game against defenses that collectively allow 28.5. So they've been about three points under what you'd expect, you know, given those defenses. So I think this could be kind of a lower, another one of these lower scoring games. I don't, I don't love it. Although the Chargers are, uh, they're they're weaker against the run than they are against the pass. So I think that Baltimore will still do what they do on the ground and probably put up a lot of uh, a lot of volume, and Lamar will be fine. But I think I think I like Mariota the best, you know, in this in this spot just because. That the Washington defense not not really that formidable. Mariota runs a bit, so I think that's why you like him over Rivers, especially against a defense like Baltimore. And, and I just I really do worry about Lamar Jackson and his efficiency. Not only you know, running, I think he'll be okay, but uh, you know passing efficiency. You know he's facing this Chargers defense that's just a lot better than than the previous five he's faced. And if his passing efficiency is already pretty bad. And so I think yeah. if, you know, if this Chargers defense now is even better than, than what he's faced uh, previously, that some of those, you know, third down conversions or, or whatnot or, or plays that kept them ahead of the chains to where they could run so much and stay on the field might go away. And then it's like Lamar could have a lot of rush volume, but potentially not as many cracks at, at the end zone as, as you'd like. So that I just worry that, that, that this could be kind of like a, a back to earth game for for Lamar, and so yeah, I think I think I'm leaning Mariota at this point. But it's an ugly slate, man. It like, really is an ugly <laughs> slate. But you're gonna play, nevertheless. Oh, yeah. You're still gonna play. Oh, of course. Running backs: Melvin Gordon, Derrick Henry, Gus Edwards are some of the guys uh, kind of popping in our models and who could have higher uh, ownership. What are your thoughts on these guys? So Melvin Gordon, I still like him. I mean, I know it's it's a two game slate, so it'd be different if this was a full slate. Obviously, 
you know, going against a, a tough defense like the Baltimore Ravens coming off a, a, a multi-week injury, not, not an ideal spot overall for Melvin Gordon in terms of spots, but it's a two game slate. So I think he's still, you know, highest, high ceiling as, as anyone else on the slate. So I do like him as a play. Derrick Henry, this, this, is, this seems like it's going to be another one of those Derrick Henry games. Tennessee has just figured out that, you know, that's how they, that's how they want to play. And it, it looked for a minute like Deion Lewis was, was, was going to give them the, their best shot and, and Henry was going to be the odd man out. And Lewis just kind of fell off and Henry stepped up and now they've switched to a very Henry centric offense. He got you know, over 30 carries a week ago and this is another game you know their favorite big low scoring affair so it sets up for for Henry to get the rock he has 30 touch upside again so I see why he's priced up and I still like him even even at that price Gus Edwards is I think you have the same concerns with Gus that you have with Lamar Jackson you know Gus he's essentially a hundred percent reliance on rushing he hasn't caught a pass yet with Lamar Jackson under center. And so if, you know, against the Chargers, this could be a a game where the game script is not, you know, the game is not as in hand as it has been for Baltimore or as close as it has been in in these other games against these poor defenses. So I think that Gus Edwards could potentially kind of get scripted out. This is the first real threat, I think, of Gus Edwards getting scripted out of a game. We've also seen Baltimore – make more and more of a commitment to Kenneth Dixon and getting him on the field. His snap rate has been increasing these last couple of weeks. So uh, Gus Edwards, you know, in tournaments, obviously, you know, at that price, you, you like him for the, for the projected volume. But I also think that this is a lower for, floor spot for Edwards than it has been these, these last few weeks. Okay. Wide receivers here. It's basically, I think, sort of two groups. You have the good wide receivers, a.k.a. the guys playing for the Chargers, and then you have everyone else. But uh, So Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Tyrell Williams, how are you distinguishing between them? You know, so this is one where it's, it's more like, – when you project Mike and Tyrell, they come out pretty close. You know, Mike usually gets the edge because he's a, he's a better touchdown maker than Tyrell. Tyrell tends to go, get a little more uh, downfield – action and catches and whatnot but Mike had an amazing game uh, coming off an amazing game and those things always give me pause when you're not talking about like an Antonio Brown or a a DeAndre Hopkins or somebody like that when you're talking about kind of a a, a non-elite wide receiver coming off a huge game what tends to happen is that the defensive coordinator kind of looks at that and says hey we can't let this you know that happen again and so I do worry a little bit especially against a good defense in the Baltimore Ravens that does have cornerbacks that, that can you know, match up with these guys. So I think I lean Tyrell in terms, of, in terms of the pendulum swinging towards him. Keenan Allen, pretty iffy, but you know, he, his volume projection is just so high that, again, on a two-game slate, you have to give him consideration. Another guy I like somewhat is Corey Davis. Um, you know, he's still a guy getting over 30% of Titans air yards and – you know, not not a very pass-heavy game script, so that's really the only thing you worry about. But I do think that he could have some success against this Washington secondary. You know, going against uh, you know Josh Norman and whatnot. I don't think I don't really I'm not really scared of that secondary at all. So I think Corey Davis. You know, I like Corey Davis as a, a pivot, especially in in tournaments. All right, and then uh, let's talk about these tight ends. Uh, it's it's disgusting here. Vernon Davis, Antonio Gates, Anthony Ferkser, and Mark Andrews. I mean, who would have thought, you know, Antonio Gates might be the, uh, the best option in any slate, but that, that actually might be the case. I don't know. What are you doing here? Oh, I, I don't even know. Like, I don't you just, I, you just close your eyes and lock a player in. Right. Pretty much. Just hammer one. I mean, cause so Vernon Davis really didn't actually see playing real much of a playing time increase or, or a, a target share increase without uh, Jordan Reed in the last game. And it's just, you know, the Redskins threw 25 times last week. So it's just tough to kind of get behind a, a team that spreads the ball around at such a low volume with Davis. Then Mark Andrews has similar concerns for the Ravens and the Chargers are excellent at defending tight ends. Ferkser, he's been hurt, I think, by this new commitment to Derrick Henry as well, because you're obviously going, you know, run heavier. And I looked at Ferkser and, you know, he didn't even – have a catch last week he did play um kind of his usual you know third of the snaps or so but did not have a catch and we saw Luke Stocker the other tight end get a, a playing time increase as did Michael Pruitt 
And so I think this is at this point, if Tennessee is not in comeback mode, which they don't project to be they're they're 10 point, 10 and a half point favorites over the Redskins. I don't think Furch is really has a lot of upside because he's just not, he's kind of a receiving specialist. And so, yeah, that kind of leaves you with, with Antonio Gates is just the, the Ravens tend to be the weakest against tight ends because again, they do have, you know, Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, Brent, you know, they have cornerbacks that they, that they can match up with and defenses tend to target the, or just have the most success with the tight end, you know, targeting tight ends against Baltimore. Baltimore is top seven in all against all positions, number one, two, and other wide receivers uh, and running backs, but they are 27th in DVOA against tight ends. So that, that just kind of leaves you with gates by default, but it's, it's, I mean, it's ugly. Okay, coming up is our third and long segment on lineup building and slate strategy right after we check in with John Ewing for some trend-based sports betting insight. Good data is always in fashion. Here's John Ewing with Trend of the Week. The Seattle Seahawks are 8-6 and six, but have outscored their opponents by 71 points which is the same point differential as the 10-4 and four Texans. By Pythagorean plus-minus, which accounts for the points a team has scored and allowed, the Seahawks are underperforming. And late in the year, it has been profitable to bet on these teams. Since 2003, teams with a winning record and a positive Pythagorean plus-minus, like the Seahawks, have gone 176 and 139. That's a 56% win rate against the spread in December or later in the season. It's not just the trends that point to value on Seattle either. The Action Network power rankings make the Seahawks a half-point underdog, and the NFL simulations have the Seahawks winning on average by 1.4 points. Seattle is currently a a 2.5-point underdog at home to the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to wait until Sunday to place this bet, hoping to get the key number of three. All right, that was John. Be sure to check out his sports betting articles each week at the Action Network. Chris, third and long, let's look at this slate. Specifically, let's look at the highest-owned players in our models Think about who we want to roster, who we might pivot away from, and who we might pivot to. Let's start at quarterback. Andrew Luck right now uh, is looking like the highest projected passer on the slate. He's a home favorite against the Giants. A good spot for him historically as a home favorite. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I think it's a good spot for Luck. You know, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The one thing about the, the Colts is they're excellent in situational football, and so Every once in a while, you will get a dud out of luck just because they're not converting third downs or they don't, you know, the, the, it kind of swings to the running game in the red zone or something like that. You can lose some of his value. He's putting up crazy touchdown numbers for most of the season. But I, I do love the spot for him at home against the Giants. His number one wide receiver, T.Y. Houghton, has a great matchup. The Giants rank dead last in DVOA against number one receivers. And we know T.Y. always gets a bump at home, just produces – better in that dome on that fast truck so I I love the matchup for luck I think that definitely gonna be a core cash cash game option for me you know Nick Foles is the only quarterback on draft teams with a higher projected plus minus down there at 4700 you know I think you can he's he's so cheap that you can probably get away with it don't love him again just because I think that this could be a a lower scoring game but those those are the two top guys in our models and and I'm pretty much in lockstep with that yeah another guy who's uh projected for high ownership is drew Brees, and uh you know we talked about this game earlier it's kind of hard to know how to approach it uh given that the saints since mark ingram returned and then also since this defense has really toughened up they have really skewed towards the run and that has seriously impacted the number of attempts per game that drew Brees is getting what are you doing with this game or with, with uh drew Brees? Yeah, I, I don't think you, you can play Drew Brees in cash games right now. I know that he has, you know, some people will point to the home road splits. And I think those, you know, those are obviously important. I think they'll definitely play better at home because every NFL team essentially, you know, over the long term will play better at home. But, I mean, you hit it. It's The, the, the pass attempts have not been there. 29.4 over their last 10 games with Mark Ingram compared to 40.8 in their first four games. And so, you know, what's really jumped up is that running volume, 33 run attempts per game over those last 10 games with Ingram versus 23.8 before uh, when Ingram was still on suspension. So the one thing I think is that that slow, the slow starts, it's become, you know, Sean Payton is aware of it. They, the media has been interviewing him and asking him about it. I almost wonder if back at home, they are a little bit more aggressive 
here. So I, I do think that, you know, from that angle, if you're looking for an angle to play Breeze, that that could be it. But I still think you, you want to weave him for tournaments because, I mean, 29.4 pass attempts per game, you have to be incredibly efficient to, you know, return value with that projected volume. And we saw the the Steelers kind of keep keep Tom Brady with a full arsenal of weapons down last week. Granted that was in Pittsburgh, but I, I do have concerns about breeze for cash. I would, I would, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Okay. Running backs, Ezekiel Elliott. He's, he's the main guy really popping in our models. And I think I should mention that he's also standing out in our, our rankings, which uh, you can find those of course at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy Ezekiel Elliott. We talked about him. Great spot for him as a home favorite going against the Bucks, And again, check out Anthony Miko's article where he really highlights that matchup between Ezekiel Elliott and the, the Bucks run defense. Chris, what are you doing with Ezekiel Elliott? A lot of these weeks lately, there's been value at the, the wide receiver position, and that's kind of helped you to jam in you know, running backs if you so choose. Now, it doesn't always work out, a.k.a. look at Saquon Barkley last week, but I do think Zeke is a guy that, given this matchup, you do want to to jam in, you know, Cowboys in a must-win spot. And I think when you go back to, to what you do best in, in those kind of situations, and I think they will feed him the ball and the matchup is there. Also love Christian McCaffrey, even without Cam Newton as, as a quarterback for the Panthers, because I think McCaffrey's the one guy that's still going to get – he's going to get as much, as much action as he, as he can take. You know, like they're going to just yeah. – I mean, whether it's handoffs – I, you know, targets, it really doesn't make sense for the Panthers to do anything but give Christian McCaffrey as, McCaffrey, excuse me, as many touches as they possibly can. And he's already been that guy. I mean, playing every snap, essentially. Going back, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. five for the last five games, Christian McCaffrey's played every snap. Yeah. So uh, those two guys are definitely the priorities for me this week. Probably, you know, over Todd Gurley, uh, just because – Gurley popping up on the injury report. You mentioned yeah. that the Rams offense a little less efficient without Cooper Cup. Jared Goff's yard per attempt is down, uh, as I tweeted out the, the other day. And so, you know, Gurley really feasts because he scores a ton of touchdowns. And with the Rams offense not producing optimally, then, you know, that kind of lowers his touchdown projection a bit. And also, you know, Gurley not catching quite as many passes this year either. And so I think Zeke and McCaffrey are my, are my clear cut top two and then you have you know Barkley and Barkley's at a really good price uh 7900 on drafting so you're, you're always going to look at him at, at that price but Gurley is the guy that I, probably the odd man out keep him for uh tournaments this week yeah Christian McCary was a great slip because I think he will be Christian McCary <laughs> this right. and then he's going against the uh the, the Falcons who uh you know like we know this it's just the trend like they hemorrhage uh receptions to running backs in week two I believe when they played he had 14 receptions for over 100 yards. So uh, a great spot for him. Obviously, he's probably not going to see that type of usage again, but we should expect still to see him uh, heavily used both as a runner and as a receiver. So uh, a good all-around spot for him. Let's talk about the wide receivers. Julian Edelman, uh, we are projecting him now for higher ownership with Josh Gordon uh, no longer playing football. So what are you doing with Julian Edelman? He's been, even with Gordon in the lineup Julian Edelman and Gronk here for, for much of the time as well. You know, Julian Edelman has still been that go-to guy for, for Tom Brady, as you would expect. So I see no problem with playing him in cash. The, the builds that I end up on may feature two of those stud running backs, and that, that, that would be the only reason I would probably end up not playing Edelman. But if I go with a, a more balanced approach, I, I think Edelman is definitely at the top of the list as far as guys that you want to play. In cash is because of the floor. I mean, the floor is really high, and you know that's not the case for a lot of these other guys. He's got the let's see, yeah. top, the sixth best floor in our models, seventy two hundred. That's a that's a pretty good price for that. So uh, like like Edelman a lot this week if you're going with the receiver in that price range. Okay, you mentioned uh, T Y Hilton earlier when talking about Andrew Luck. Good spot for him as a home favorite going against the Giants, who uh, have been historically weaker this season, at least, uh, against number one wide receivers. And then uh, Julio Jones at Carolina is someone we are projecting for high ownership. How are you approaching them? Well, the only thing with T.Y., so right now he's on he's on an injury report, did not practice right. Thursday. It 
think he's not 100% healthy. Still great matchup for him, but I just prefer to leave him for tournaments just because of, you know, that, that kind of uncertainty. I don't see any real reason to take that risk in cash games. Yeah, and then Julio Jones, he's, he's another guy in the injury report. I think he should, he's fine, though, as far as, as far as we know. He historically has dominated Carolina. However, the one thing that's interesting is, uh, touched on this a little with, with Ian previewing the, the Saints game, last week on the on the Monday pod, but Panthers are number four in DVOA against number one wide receivers and they're number 31 against number two receivers. So usually the number one guy has not been the guy to go off. We kind of saw them hold Michael Thomas in check last week where he didn't, I think he was seven catches, 49 yards for Thomas. So, you know, you worry a little bit about Julio, but at the end of the day, I mean, Julio has been a monster all season long. So I don't, I don't hate the play. I think I'm going to restrict him to tournaments, though, just because of you know Ron Rivera's kind of taking over this defense. They could be doing different things. I mean, they mm-hmm. for what we know they might you know triple teamers and just another one of those things that in cash games I don't I don't feel like you know he's so expensive that I don't feel like you really need to end up there at wide receiver in, in this kind of week when you have you know three three four stud running backs that uh, will, will essentially will have higher floors just because of the, the position they play. Okay, let's uh, talk about tight ends. There are four guys we are projecting to have elevated ownership relative to the rest of the field. Zach Ertz, George Kittle, and then uh, Eric Ebron and Evan Ingram going against each other in what I am calling the E-squared-squared squared matchup. Uh, how are you distinguishing between these four guys? Well, you know, tight end tends to be a position where you want to, to pay down. So from that that perspective, I think, Ingram would be the, the guy because it looks like Odell Beckham's going to miss another game. Some of the other Giants receivers popping up on the injury report as well. Ingram has been a lot more involved over you know since coming back. Um, well, since Beckham really had started to miss games, you know he wasn't that involved earlier in the season as you might expect. But uh, now he's coming on strong, and I think he's in a good spot. So I, I lean toward him, but. From a projection standpoint, I think there are there is more value on uh, the most value on Ertz because you know he's sitting here at fifty nine hundred and you know, that his projected plus minus is uh, in our models on fantasylabs dot com slash NFL. It's it's point and a half more yeah. than any other tight end on the slate. So I actually probably will end up with Ertz and Ingram mix, but actually more Ertz because as I've been talking about in the the breakdowns that I do over at labs lately, you know, you can kind of use our projections, you know, whether it's projected plus minus and then uh, projected points per dollar. We have, you know, all of it in our database with the trends tool and you can kind of use it to, to tier players and find where the the distinctions lie in, you know, when you have a guy with, with that much separation in those, in those project in that projected point per dollar and projected plus minus at tight end, especially on DraftKings, those, they just have such elevated consistency relative to, to kind of the, the, the tier under them that Ertz is really stands out here as a, as a smash play. Okay. We're going to close out the show with our fourth and goal segment previewing Sunday night football, but first let's kick it to Ian Harditz who runs through the key Week 16 coverage situations. The press, the jam, and the five-yard bump. Ian Harditz brings you Dance of the Divas. The first key wide receiver cornerback shadow matchup of Week 16 is Corey Davis versus Josh Norman. It's a winnable matchup for Davis because of Washington's zone-heavy scheme, but Taiwan Taylor has actually out-targeted the Titans' number one receiver over the last three weeks. Stefan Diggs will face off with Darius Slay. Diggs has historically won this matchup, but volume could be a concern after Kirk Cousins threw a season-low 21 passes last week in his first game with the new offensive coordinator. Kenny Galladay will take on Xavier Rhodes. Uh, Galladay defeated Tredavious White last week and has now gained at least 90 yards and or scored a touchdown in 9 of 11 games with more than 5 targets. But Xavier Rhodes is a big-bodied beast. 
plenty capable of shutting down any receiver in the league. Zay Jones versus Stephon Gilmore. Maybe the Patriots won't even bother with this, but Gilmore did shadow Jones last season with Kelvin Benjamin sideline, and former Patriots defensive coordinator Matt Patricia used Darius Slay to shadow Jones as opposed to Robert Foster in Week 15. Julio Jones will face off with James Bradbury. Julio's banged up with ribs and hip injuries, but he's set up pretty well against the Panthers' 28th-ranked defense and past DVOA. He's been playing successful against them since they traded Josh Norman, including that 300-yard game partially at the hands of Bradbury. Antonio Brown will face off with Marshawn Lattimore. The Saints have run some different shadow schemes over the year, but Lattimore and Apple haven't moved into the slot under any circumstances, hardly. So that means Juju Smith-Schuster should run most of his routes against liability P.J. Williams. Michael Thomas will face off with Joe Hayden. Thomas is matchup-proof at home, but we have seen Hayden really kind of win matchups against Hopkins, Julio, A.J. Green, etc. over the years. My favorite matchup of the week is T.Y. Hilton. Make sure you monitor our Week 16 injury report to make sure his ankle is okay. But we got Andrew Luck's number one receiver facing the Giants' number 32-ranked defense in DVOA versus number one receivers at home. Hilton has averaged 85.4 yards and 0.47 touchdowns per game indoors in his career compared to just 61 yards and 0.23 touchdowns per game outdoors. All right, that was Ian. Be sure to check out his wide receiver cornerback matchup column at the Action Network. Chris, Sunday Night Football. The Chiefs at the Seahawks. Chiefs favored by two and a half, a 53.5 over under. The super majority of the money is on the Chiefs. Over 90% of the money is on the over. The Chiefs are coming off of a last-second Thursday night football loss to the Chargers, but they are still slated for the number one seed in the AFC. They need a win to stay ahead of the Chargers. The Seahawks are 8-6. and six. They are looking to lock in their playoff spot with a win. They had a tough overtime road loss to the 49ers last week, but they have won four of their past five games. How are you approaching this? So, you know, Seattle coming off a loss to a clearly better team in the San Francisco 49ers, as, as, discu- as discussed. Even, as, as, as previously discussed. discussed. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, ser- seriously, you know, that kind of speaks to my concerns about Seattle in general was that this team is a team that very reliant on, on Russell Wilson still, even though it kind of seems like, hey, they're running the ball more. That's kind of been the, the key for them, and it has. But at the end of the day, this is a team that's not quite, I think, as – good as public perception they're just they just have a really really good quarterback and that that's always going to help a ton and their run game obviously has excellent Chris Carson love him in in all formats of fantasy DFS props whatever it is this weekend I I think he smashed it but just in terms of Seattle so on offense you know first downs per play very predictive when it comes to predict uh, looking at point differential and you know the correlation it's point six yeah, so point six, so so like that's a very high correlation um, in terms of you know point differential, and so Seattle's only 18th in first downs per play on offense, and that's because they they run the ball. But against a team like the Chiefs, you're a little concerned about that. And the same thing with them going against San Francisco, where San Francisco is was actually superior. Uh, they were up there at ninth in that same metric. Kansas City is number one in that metric, and so. I think that Seattle, you know, they'll be able to run the ball and have a lot of success because Kansas City's defensive weakness is the run game. But we also know that Kansas City is going to be able to put up points. I don't think that's any question. And I just think that it's a little too much for Seattle to, to hang with them and ultimately pull out the victory. So I like Kansas City at the 2.5. I think it should be three. I, probably some sharps disagree because it hasn't moved to three yet, even though there has been a, a lot of uh, action on Kansas city, but I'm going with Casey here. I think they just have an advantage, you know, in on offense overall against Seattle. Okay. I agree with a lot of what you said, but I'm having trouble taking Kansas city on the road in this spot. I don't want to bet against the Seahawks in Seattle. I just kind of don't want to do it. Um, But at the same time, I don't really want to take them if it's just two and a half, you know what I mean? Like I want to take them if it's plus three, but I do feel confident because of what you mentioned that Kansas city is vulnerable against the run. And that is where Seattle is at its best, or at least what they are fully committed to. I do think Seattle will be able to score points uh, against Kansas city's defense. So I'm, I'm taking Seattle over 26, but I, I do think this game could go over 
by Kansas City scoring a lot of points too. Yeah. I, I just it's it's a situation where I could see it being a tight game either way, and I kind of don't want to have to pick a side on that. But I, I do feel as if San Francisco, sorry, not San Francisco. There you go. Yeah, they are in my head. I, I think as if Seattle should be able to to put up twenty six points. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'd probably, I'd probably go with the with the over in this game too. You don't, you don't love to do it when, um, with, with such a run heavy team like Seattle, but we've seen them, you know, in games against the Rams. They, I think it was a thirty three to thirty one game. So we've seen them against premier offenses end up in these higher scoring shootouts. So I, I think I'm fine with you know playing that as well. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier Chris Carson uh, and looking at his props. I totally agree with that. And on that note, I should mention you should check out our Fantasy Labs props tool, which is powered by our industry-leading projections created by Sean Corner, a.k.a. The Odds Maker. This season, the NFL props with a bet quality of 10 uh, have hit 67% of the time. Pretty good. Pretty good. To access the tool, subscribe to Fantasy Labs, where you can get a five-day trial for just $15.95. Chris, uh, I think that's the show. Have, have a good time at the holiday party. A little bit, little bit jealous that I'm not there. I'm not going to lie. You're going to have a I'll, uh, I'll do a, I'll do a, what I assume will be one of many shots for you at this party. And uh, thanks. Have a good holiday. For everyone out there, have a good holiday. Let's get this morning. All right. That's going to do it for this Friday episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for all of our upcoming episodes. For Chris Raybon, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt Oracle. See you again next episode, and happy holidays. <laughs>